Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Back chat. We are still in Melbourne. We're just not at our beautiful studio. We have moved over to the Hawthorne Football Club. Very excited to be here with this man. We are sitting in front of current head coach of the Hawthorne Football Club, Sam Mitchell. Hello, mate. How are you? Thank you for bringing all your gear out. Do appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Beautifully dressed in your Hawthorne attire. Nice sponsors. I've got to get through a couple of our sponsors. That's okay, Sam. Thank you very much to Whippersnapper. Thank you very much to Shelter, Margaret River Roasting Co., Blue Bet. And, of course, Leadable Cameras for helping us put it together. That's why we're here with Sam. On like a TV set, might I add. It feels yeah. like we're on a show. Yeah, it is, it's good. It's good. Thanks for providing the uh, facilities here, Sam. Now, first question we ask every guest here on Backchat. You have been on Backchat before with Sam Butler and Will Schofield. Well, this has been reimagined. First question we asked. We know you've done some things as a player. Premierships, captain, best and fairest, Brownlow medal. You've done a fair bit, 300 games. But the first question we ask every guest is, what's your greatest sporting achievement not on the football field? Okay, you can play football. Oh, and you can even coach. Congrats. You done anything else in the sporting realm, Sam? Um, I, I won the batting average for the, I think it was the sixth. So I was about 16. <laughs> yes. And like the first 11, second, third, fourth. I think, I think, might be fifth, sixth, seventh. It's whatever like the close to the worst one was. And I think the average was like 14 or something thereabout. So batting average about as a 16, 16 year old. As a 16 year old, six. Yeah. And you know what? You know why I remember it? Because at the Moorabuck Football Club, there's, you know, in historically got the big wooden frames up and it's got. S. Mitchell batting average. And on the footy side, on the other side, there's all this like, you know, names up there a few times or whatever. But on the cricket, I got it on the cricket one. And I was like, yes. And that's what you're proud of. Yes, I'm proud of it. We don't care what you've done on the football field. Very good. Okay. So we do have to. Did you want to. Did you want to. Do you have one of these? Do you have a mounted ball? I do not have a mounted ball at all. He's lucky I wasn't bowling when he was um, batting 15. Just a little. Bowling trophy there for me. Five wickets for 16 runs. No big deal. In the grand final. But that was under 12s in, in, in. Probably C grade. Okay, well done. Well, C grade's well above what I was capable mm-hmm. of. Okay, very good. So, a little bit on your footy career. I would like to talk to you mostly about your coaching stuff, though. But to start your career, right, uh, you get overlooked at the draft after two best and fairest as a junior. You then go and play in a premiership, correct? At Box Hill, yeah. And then yep. you get drafted. You then win the Liston medal, uh, uh, the VFL best and fairest. Why were you, why were you overlooked? What was the reason? Um... I was too slow and too short and too fat, probably. I think if you go back to that era, 
Uh, we see it a little bit now with with Cripps, but back then it was Kudafidis, and he was the inside midfielder who was you know six foot four, um, and I'm far from that, and didn't have any sort of the athleticism. And what I think coaches, I see it now, we cocky type, and we think we can make any athlete into a player. Um, and what it was back then was that we every player we just need Kudafidis types, and we'll teach them how to play footy. Um, whereas I was a good at footy but far away from athletics so my knock was all around athleticism now that you've come full circle what is it now um there's still temptations for the same type of thing but i think there's a little bit it's a little bit more well-rounded sometimes we look at a player who's raw and if they have some ability to learn and they've got good mental skills then you can still make them into really good players but you can't you can't misplace um you know, genuine football football talent. Is there more resources in footy departments and then recruitment that there's not likely a Sam Mitchell lying around in the VFL or is there someone that could be there? No, there still is. I mean, if you look at our um, Hawthorne's recruiting over the last couple of years, we've chosen four players out of our Box Hill program. So it's exactly where I came from. Um, so we had Jai Newcomb, who's a very similar um, position to me. He got chosen in a mid-season draft and has played not every game, but close to every game since getting since getting picked up, despite not going through under-18s programs and those types of things. So there's still, there's still hidden gems. So uh, you get drafted to the Hawks, you do what you do there, you win some premierships, yes, you captain the football club. Um, we could touch on all those. You win a Brownlow medal. Where does the coaching journey start? Like, is it started pre that? What, what, what? Um, no, yeah, probably. So I start. I made my debut in 2002. Uh, and the first sort of coach's course or something that I found that I did was in the end of 2009. Um, so I was sort of 26. And I'd done sort of – I'd become the captain of the club. And I was looking at leadership and how to improve my influence and positive influence on others and really working on yourself a lot as an athlete. As a young athlete, you do an enormous amount of work on yourself, which is quite a selfish way to live, but a necessity for a young athlete. Uh, and once I'd sort of done all the coursing and all the education I could do, um, the next thing, the next progression for my to increase my influence and positive influence on others was around coaching. And I sort of just dipped my toe in the water at the start, and then I felt like I, it actually made me a significantly better player. Um, and so now we have I get as many players into the coaches box as I can and be as transparent with them as I can because they watch the game in with new eyes and it actually makes them a better player um, and James Sicily being example he spent almost a whole year in the coaches box last year and then now he's playing at a, at a different level um, and so that's a, an example of what it did for me and probably it was a little bit of a selfish side at the start I wanted to be better than I was at that time and I continued to improve and then um, through the coaching education, um, you know, I obviously had a great passion for it pretty early on. I still remember the first time I sat in the coaches' box it was with Wusha and Summa, uh, so John Worsfold, Peter Sumich, and then there's Tony McHale. It was quite early in my career, so come come sit in the coaches' box as you've done in James Sicily, and it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> and I never wanted to coach again. And it didn't it didn't quite make me a better player. It made me for a period of time. Geez, I wonder what they're saying about me out there because it's quite a a uh, different environment that I probably expected. Because that'd be pretty open and honest up there. About yeah, some honest, honest feedback uh, happening up there. Some, uh, it was a close game we, we, that we lost. There were some errors made late in the game that Quentin Lynch was one of them. <laughs> was, wasn't some great feedback for Lynchy. Uh, is it are you ever mindful? Like now that you're coaching and you have players around or I don't know you relatively, I don't know your coaching style up there, but you mindful of that when there's someone there, or you just coach? oh I don't change because if someone's there. No. Sometimes I there's a cone of silence about about what is said up there from the guys in there. But you do. I mean, I try to think of the players as um, you know as little versions of your children. You you can definitely criticise your children and they can frustrate you significantly, but you still love them. And so with your players, you need to treat them in the same way. They can drive you crazy and do really silly things. Um, but saying that in front of a group of people, you have to be always conscious as a head coach. Whatever I say about a player will be reflected through other people's behaviour towards that player. So it's a, you do need to be careful of the ripples, but not because of players in there. What about, um, you know, the camera does get on the coach's face every now and then. It's not constantly on there, but are you ever worried about saying something and reading sort of the lips of, of what you're going to say? No, I have. I, I, I'm a rookie coach, so it's my first year. I might add. So I do see some other coaches and how they um, they know that they might be on camera and they cover. And I am not that far advanced to think about that. <laughs> I've noticed myself in my peripheral vision on the screen a couple of times, and I'm still finding that a bit awkward. To be fair, so I sort of keep my eyes down. And um, but I'm not used to being on camera in that 
in that forum. So you kind of think of it as a private space despite it being far from. I want to speak about your time at West Coast a little bit. That's how we met. Um, had some mutual f- friends uh, before we ever met. Matt Spanger being one of those, a premiership player at this club at Hawthorne, who said you and Mitch will probably get along quite well. Um, oh, that's, the verdict may still be out with that, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, I, I had expectations of you coming in and then you know some impressions as a player once I did get to meet you. What was that process like coming from you know initially a one-club player that spent a lot of time on premierships, captain the club, to... Then moving to a club that one you were playing with, but you knew you were going to coach as well. What what was that process like? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I think there's this great debate amongst coaching education around how what your relationship with players should be like. Should you be their friend? Should you keep a bit of distance to keep it professional? Um, and you know, there's certain parameters that you need to keep as a as a professional. And I think you need to show some vulnerability. You need to show who you are. You need players to know that you're not perfect and that you make plenty of mistakes um, but you also have the team's best interests at heart and you want the best for the bigger the bigger picture and the bigger group so I mean every every sort of discussion I had with players you're always knowing that you're going to coach these guys at some stage so um, you're always a little bit careful maybe about what you said but it didn't change it, I didn't find it too hard I was quite an old like I think I was 34 or 35 at the time so my days of being one of the rat bags in the locker room were were mostly gone. It made him quite easy to find because as a player, he couldn't do much about it. We knew he was going to be the coach, but used to slip him into fines quite often. <laughs> just because, yeah, I, mean, because I think I lost money that last year, actually, <laughs> due, due to your fines. Uh, you are a tight ass. Uh, while, while we're no good at FIFA, I've got to slip that in. Like, I mean, you, you played a bit of FIFA in that final year. Why? why so not, what evidence do good? you have about that? Because we played one tournament, a doubles tournament, and I, and I, and I lost the final. Yes, in a in a golden goal. So I wouldn't call that. You know, there was there was thirty five or forty. I was there. I mean, maybe you're good at FIFA, but I don't think I've got my PlayStation back from that night. <laughs> <laughs> well, who, so who learned something out of that night then? <laughs> you took the title at my PlayStation. <laughs> what about um, what about this one? A final one, sort of player side of things. Why, why did you never run a 2K time trial as a player at West Coast? <laughs> oh, at West Coast? Oh, well, I have to thank Adam Simpson for that. So the 2K time trial. Um, I think when I got there, as you mentioned before, I'd had a sort of a reputation. I'd had success. I'd been highly thought of. And, and Simo brought me over to try and help the group with some development, maybe on field, but a lot of it to do with, with off field. And um, if you had have seen me run a time trial, all of that, potential high reputation would have been lost and so that would have been a great way to lose the players straight away so I thank Simo um, for not not making me do the time trial uh, it's, uh, yeah I would have liked to have seen you do one to be honest Could you what, have, what time what yeah. time do you reckon you go so, well we Hawthorne did a 2.2 2, um, and my best time was 7.10 so I guess I would have been a 6.30 at, that was my best run, but that was as a 23-year-old, not as a 30-year-old. So, you know, add a, add a little bit to that. So so you, you don't find the player-coach kind of relationship difficult. I think, from my point of view, that you handled it quite well. So 2017, you finish up as a player and you move into the coaching ranks. Is that is that literally the last game you play or the last day at the club? Put your boots away and put your coach's shirt on and then you, but you're into planning for the season? But uh, it was, was it more was, of a transition. Right? It was interesting. I was I was talking. So in that my last my last two games or my last three games, and we played um, we played Adelaide at Subiaco. It was the last game at Subiaco, um, and yeah. Adelaide were highly regarded. And we had and West Coast had to win to make the finals, and uh, by a certain amount. And by yes, by a certain amount. That's <laughs> that's right. And we ended up. So I'm going into that game really thinking that that's unlikely, and this is my last game. And so. And try to help the team win, and but but my wife she kind of wanted to go on holidays and wasn't really <laughs> sure about this sort of thing. So we we ended up winning, and I remember I got quite a bit of a glare across the table because I got a Brownlow vote in that game, <laughs> and my wife like looked at me like really. Um, but then the next week it was a draw, it was a draw, and then what happened was we played after the siren and Luke Shuey brought it home uh, against Port Adelaide. And what that meant was there was a great amount of joy amongst the group. In particular, I remember Jeremy McGovern saying, two extra weeks, boys, because winning that game meant you got a two extra two weeks for pre-season. Yes. And I was quite thankful because, you know, it was, it was my first year finishing playing and going into coaching. So I thought, oh, two extra weeks, I'm going to need that. Like this will be my first year with my family where I don't have to be a professional athlete for my whole life just about yes. um, and then you know we ended up losing the next week against GWS it turned out to be my my final game and 
on the final game of that season. And then I, you know, thinking that I would start two weeks later. Um, and I remember Craig Vozzo was, oh no, 1st of November, you start the same date. <laughs> so all that happened over that period is I'd lost two weeks of holidays. Um, so that was my first introduction into, into coaching is all of the little, you get so many perks as a player. You live in this cocooned world where all of those sponsors you mentioned before are looking after you and your boots are clean for you and people make sure you're where you need to be all the time and if you forget something someone will have it for you and then I went to being a coach uh, my very first session I wore white socks and Adam Simpson said oh you wear black socks and I and I was like oh yeah I don't I haven't got any yet he's like yeah we'll go get some and I had to go that stole I ran off the track and stole black socks out of one of the players' bags and ran back onto the track because I wasn't allowed to be out there with black socks. Um, and so I quickly learned that being a coach is a very different world to being a player. What does the first sit down as a coach look like? You know, brand new coach. Are they are you going like a doing like a course on like you know some sort of um, what they call it, like orientation course as a coach? Like, what does that look like? Um, Oh, I think one of the quotes that I would use, I get a bit, well, we've been joking around a bit, but I get a little bit serious, is is that players, they don't, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So the first thing, advice for other coaches, but also my way that I would go about it is you have to you have to get the players to understand you as a as a person and get them to know who you are, what you're about, what your values are. And once they do that, then they'll start to listen to you about any sort of technical technical skills or technical things that you want to teach them, any tactics or, or scenarios. But until they know you and what you stand for, then their listening skills are going to be reasonably low. So um, first meeting is basically a, a no, you know, I would, I don't remember it exactly, but it would have been something around, this is what I'm about, this is what I stand for, and this is the stuff that I don't accept. Um, and what do you want from me? And then I, I remember you always set players up with that question, like, what do you want from me? Because the first thing they'll say is honesty, and then you can use that against them for the rest of their careers. Because <laughs> you asked me for the truth, and here it is. Well, yeah. <clears throat> we happen to have it on good authority from one of the people in the room of your first meeting with the players, what you actually <laughs> I'm, said. I'm nervous about Would this. you like me to tell you what you said? <laughs> okay. This is apparently from a premiership midfielder at, Eagle, at West Coast who said on this show, on Back Chat, quote, Sam Mitchell, I'm here to win you guys a premiership, so that's what we're going to do. And then you showed, <laughs> and then you showed the pictures of uh, a mountain or something with with a cup at the top, basically. And then, and then you repeated that uh, the week before the grand final. Fact or fiction? Um, I know so it's fact, so don't say fiction. I think <laughs> the gist of that would be: I don't think I would have said I am here to do this. That's a bit of a stretch. We, but the concept: we're here to win a premiership, which is what every club is doing. So stating that early is certainly. Um, that's right in my right down my alley. So I imagine I would have done that. It was there was some there was some bumps on that journey, but we got there pretty quickly. Correct. That's something to highlight. Did you? you there, Dan. What was that? Have a look at your run check. Something. I, I feel a bit like blindsided. Yep. You both have earpieces in, <laughs> and computers and run sheets, and you're leaving each other notes. And I've got you're the guest. This, 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 this is how it works. Uh, I was going to ask memories of of coaching Scoey. Anything that comes to mind. Oh, it's his show, and he's always going to have last say. So no, no, just no. This is it. You, you go for your life. Well, I didn't coach Scully really. I mean, he was a defender, um, and he f was not the favourite son, I guess. But he always had a <laughs> bit of a X factor about him. He always brought something. The players, the players, always liked. Um, playing footy with him because they knew that he would produce high levels of effort, even if sometimes his skill level didn't match what he was trying to do. Um, but he was a guy that you knew you whack. could rely on. Okay. You know, okay. so that's a there's a there's a backhanded whack in yeah, there, but right. you can read into that good or bad. Up no, to you. That's good. I mean, what what is match committee like for people that that don't know that that just you know they see the coaches rolled out and a big bunch of you sitting in the coaches box and oh great coaching today. What about match committee inside match committee? Not, not Hawthorne, use West Coast if you like. What do you do in there? You're in there a long time. What are you guys yeah. doing? Uh, well, Sam Frost, one of our um, Hawthorne current players, he came uh, Monday and this uh, last week and he came to match committee and he sat there and at the end I said, oh, what'd you learn today? He goes, oh, I should definitely eat before I come to this meeting next week. Because <laughs> <laughs> he'd been in there three hours and he hadn't had breakfast or whatever. So I've heard um, stories about lengthy match committees. What, uh, what takes I'm, the most time? What well, happens? I mean, post-game, match committee might – Personally, as the coach, my match committees are reasonably brief. Yes. Um, but post game, you put they put the agenda up, and it's a nightmare. You go, you got to do the coaches' votes for the coaches' association. Um, then you do offense, defense, um, 
stoppages, forwards, backs, mids, any scenarios that you went into, um, any GPS reporting, the VFL um, reserves report, um, rating of every player and their feedback to make sure you're aligned because I don't want to go and say, hey, I thought you played really well and then the line coach say the opposite. So getting alignment on what happened in the game plus what are we going to review today? What do the players need to learn? How can we make them better this week? What environment do we want to create for them? Do we want them to be a bit edgy or would we like them to have some joy this week? Setting up the week um, early. My One of my philosophies is around if you have eight hours to cut down a tree and spend six hours sharpening your axe. I think it's Richard Nixon. That's but you might be able to check that. It's quite good. Just claim it. Charlie, that's yours. But, that. but you are, if, you, if you're well prepared, then your week can roll out quite smoothly. So I usually... Um, we have quite lengthy meetings the first day or two, uh, and then it's pretty pretty smooth after that. We've Our match committee, the part that everyone's interested in is selection, um, and I, I'd be lying if we had one meeting where, okay, we picked the team today. Normally, you have a vague idea. We know this guy's coming in. Um, there's a couple of guys could go out. We'll see how that falls, see if anyone breaks down. Um, so, for instance, at this week, I've got a guy coming in, um, but I don't really want to take anyone out. So I go to the, the trainers and say, all right, we just need to train them hard enough to break one. And then we'll be okay. <laughs> that it's is a little bit, It's a little bit facetious, but it's also sometimes it happens and you're like, oh, that's good. <laughs> you don't have to let someone down. But yeah, exactly. What about, so with, are there like hot, like heated debates between like, you know, I'm, I have no idea what they look like. So I'm just imagining in my head like, a, you know, a picture of a guy on the table and there's one person like, you know, arguing for their case and someone else is out like do you ever just have to yield and go cool all right like and just accept the decision yeah yeah yeah. of course it's a it does it get to, it doesn't get to heated debate too often usually it's my i mean it's my call at the end of the day but most of the time rely on the line coach so if there's a, a position available and it's a winger then you go to robert harvey and say okay this is the position that you're going to be the guy that plays there. The, the thing that the head coach has is sometimes the head coach has got the longest view in the room. So, for instance, early draft picks or players that you've got really high hope for or that are injury prone and that are feeling good and in some decent form, if you want to get them a run, they might not help you the most that week. Um, so you do need to try to, to sum up. You know, there's always performance versus development in a match committee. Um, and sometimes it's the coach's job to, to to even out whatever the rest of the group is thinking. What about when you blokes dropped May for the 2018 uh, final series? What happened in that match committee? It was pretty unanimous. I <laughs> <laughs> then someone went down and it made that, uh, made that yeah, decision easier. Yeah, he's, that's what he's talking about. You know, it's like, oh, we can let Well, that was one of those ones where, okay, who was coming back? Is it Shep uh, ended it up hurting himself. It's actually Jets. Yeah, so Jets, we were a bit we were a bit tall and cumbersome in the back end. And it was always a favourite of the coaching committee. Oh, we're a bit tall this week. <laughs> tall this week. Well, even though I could play small, did. Did, did so for my whole career. A bit tall this way. It's like, have it's just an over, excuse. Have you got over that or not? No, absolutely not. <laughs> have not. <laughs> you did play in the one that mattered. Yes, I know. <laughs> but not, not thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> not my area. Yeah, I'm a midfield coach. Um, so let's talk about that 2018. Uh, your midfield coach, um, you, you lose, you know, a decent season, but it wasn't like it was a dominating season where he was undefeated. You know, you've probably been close to involved in that with some of the Hawthorne seasons you played in. But Gaff, Natanui out towards the back end of the season, which really changes the d- dynamic of West Coast midfield. Um, Gaff on a wing, plays the same position every week, does the same thing, very reliable, and Natanui does what he does in the ruck. Um, how was that as your first season as assistant coach to deal with like two really big outs coming towards a final series? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a really, I mean, there was so much talent in that group. Like that was a phenomenal. We had Dom Sheed playing in the reserves. Yeah, like that's for. So Andrew Gaff going out of that side brings Dom Sheed in, and we all knows how we all know how that finished. So it was a crazy amount of talent in that group. And um, what what was really easy, and Simo was quite good at this, was really role driven. So you just had a role to play, and whoever was best at playing that role. That was who played in that game. So because of the the clarity of the roles, it made picking um, the team reasonably easy. And it was the thing with the midfield is there was such versatility and strength of, of talent in that group that um, they were a reasonably easy group. They were desperate for success and had a high level of talent. If you got those two things, then you, you're pretty well set. You can answer this or not. What was the um, uh, vibe in the coach's box like when Gaff um, hit Brayshaw? Was it an oh shit or was it like a confusion uh my only memory of it was that we didn't you didn't see it because it was um, not right it wasn't live so it wasn't right in our eyesight or on the vision and you're watching the game you're looking at different aspects as a coach you do miss a lot of the game i know that sounds 
funny, but you're as a midfield coach, you're just watching the midfield, so you rarely see a goal scored. Um, and as a backline coach, you don't probably see any goals scored except for the opposition because you're always looking at your own area. Um, and the only person who saw it was one of our analysts who had the vision and was rewinding and looking at the um, the broadcast vision that you see at home on your on your television. And he said, "Oh, this is not good. We better be careful with how we handle this." And then showed someone else the vision and and making sure that that Gaffey was going to be okay for the rest of that game and etc. So at the time, you just have so many other things to do that you really focus on the moment. Um, as a head coach, you have to have all those bigger picture things in your mind. Um, but as a as a as a midfield coach, it didn't make a huge influence on the way I coached that day. Just breaking from 2018, what's that like? Going from assistant coach, you talk about you know, a midfield coach, or if you're a stoppage coach, you're just watching, watching stoppages. You don't actually see the game to then head coach where you're the opposite. You yeah. might not actually be seeing any stoppages or yeah. you have to see everything. Like, Is that a big mindset change? Um, it was, it's quite difficult as a line coach, in particular if you did forwards or backs, where you're just watching one end of the ground the whole time. And so you, you would find your eyes you know, get drawn away to watch something that you shouldn't be watching. And, <laughs> and when you have a young coach who's new, quite often they, they say something about, and you're like, how about you just watch your area, mate? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the backline coach talking about the forwards, uh, vice versa. So you're always trying to get everyone to do their own jobs. Um, and as the head coach, you get to look at, everything and sometimes you get stuck in the detail um, but you try certainly as a head coach I try not to get stuck in the detail too much trying to look at the big picture of um, and you're really a problem solver what okay backline coach what do you need anything we can do to support the defense here are you feeling vulnerable behind the ball you know asking questions of that coach to see if they are comfortable with what their group is doing and if you do that with all of your staff that means things are going reasonably well as the head coach given that you'd experienced back on 2018 this playing group uh in person as a player in 2015 a lot of the guys that played in that game coming into the 2018 grand final we are able to use any experience as a player with either hawthorne or with the group as west coast to prepare the group grand final week to try and win a premiership because the group hadn't been able to do it three years earlier yeah, I mean, I'd been through that as well. I lost a grand final in 2012, and then we won the next year. Um, so, uh, there were, I mean, sharing part of your journey, and I think um, that was one – the 2015 was one game. You know, it's just one game that that team, that group lost. And making sure there's not any skeletons in the closet and, and talking about it I thought was quite helpful. So um, some guys didn't really want to and were quite uncomfortable, particularly with me having played in that game. Um, but – I always felt like a cleansing of the soul was needed if you just need to watch it, open it up and say, look, oh, I was terrible. I probably cost us a grand final here. And in, 20, in 2012, um, I still have the odd person who reminds me I should have thrown the ball back to Jared McVeigh because it cost me a, us a 50 and potentially cost us a, cost us the game. So, um, you know, I'm no stranger to not not performing well in those big and that costing you. So, um, you know, I thought I was... I thought we handled that pretty well, and the boys were not too flustered. Even after the start of the game, it was pretty ordinary, to be honest. Where, yeah, it was quarter time. Um, you remember what you said to the boys at quarter time? To, to, to the group, <laughs> to the midfield group. Um, I remember that it, we'd had the, the game was a lot of the game was on our terms, and Dugowie had kicked two goals that just Dugowie did Dugowie things. No one else can do what he did. I only won the first. I was on him, so it was only one. Well, but it was Jaden Stephenson had kicked a couple. Yeah, so uh, it was five I, to nothing at one stage. I think it was five goals to nothing, but the game wasn't really not on our... The game was reasonably evenly played, despite the scoreboard. So as a coach, you can jump at shadows and change things because of the scoreboard, but really the game was on our terms. So I I don't know exactly what I said, but I think that if we... Something like if we persist, then we're on the right track here. I feel like you're going to you stitch that me up, up here. Again. Well, <laughs> well, I've just heard... I've heard a lot of boys talk about it. I've heard multiple sources who are in that meeting, once again, that you said... <laughs> The forward line aren't getting the job done here. We're on top of the game. We're winning the midfield battle. Uh, backs are <laughs> shitting the bed a little bit. But we as a midfield group are going to have to kick some goals here because the forwards aren't kicking them. Something along those lines. <laughs> yeah, so and when I say something along those lines, exactly those words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd have to go back and have a look, but I imagine what I would have been trying to get the, the, the midfielders to do is to think forward rather than support the defence. That seems like a message you would give if you want your midfielders to think forward, to move forward, to get closer to the 50, to give themselves opportunities to have shots on goal. Um, Collingwood were very well set up defensively. Um, so we, our shots from outside 50 was a good way to score against them. So the idea from a coach, 
fact or fiction isn't the most important thing. The story that they hear and they believe is, and the influence you can have. So me telling them, the forwards are struggling a bit, we're going to have to kick the goals. That, I imagine, took anxiety away from the playing group, have a little smile probably. And they looked over at, you know, JK or whatever and had a little chuckle to themselves and I'm going to have to do a job for you. That incentivizes them and gives them joy. And in a, game, in a grand final with 100,000 people, five goals to zero down, that is exactly the, the feeling that, I obviously thought they needed at the time. Don't oh. tell the forwards. They won't see this one. No, way. correct. <laughs> Don't worry about the forwards. What do you think they're doing? Watching YouTube highlights or something. Uh, Dom Sheed, uh, having a shot at goal. You're a coach. You're in the coach's box. He heard some audio. Like, What's what's that like as a coach uh, with a premiership on the line, effectively? It, it's, uh, I remember getting asked this, um, but I think – I think Josh Kennedy and uh, and Chris Maston both had shots prior. Yeah. And really, as a coach, you're in the what can we do to help? I mean, uh, the coach's job you can't do anything other than set the players up for success and try to help them. So um, when he's having the shot, it's like, okay, if he kicks it, we're going to do this. If he doesn't kick it, we're going to do that. You know, either a super offensive game or a super defensive game. So the riding the kick, I don't know if there's vision. I might embarrass myself. No, no, I don't, no I'm, not, I'm not setting up for anything. I don't imagine. I don't imagine there would have been all that much emotion in the coach box because there's still enough time for them to come back at this point. So we're really thinking about, okay, if he kicks this, this is what has to happen at the centre bounce. And if he doesn't kick it, then at the kick in, we need to do this. We need to get this message to the players to make sure they can implement either one of those things. So I don't think there would have been much emotion. Probably the least emotion in the coaches' boxes of the 100,000 people there, I'd imagine. Does that surprise you? A little bit. Um, what it's, it's true. With the, um, with the time, this is purely practical, with the time counting down, are you seeing seeing that? Because often it looks like at the end of the game, coaches are like surprised. When the, not surprised, but like the, when the siren goes, I know you're focusing on the game, but are you counting down the seconds? I haven't had a game that close where I've done the jump up and, and cheer or or the opposite. Um, not yet, but we do, there is a time clock there, so if you jump up with three minutes to go, the runner can't go out. I don't know if that was the rule then, but with the last three minutes, the runner can't go on the field. So as a coach, you actually can't influence the game unless the bench can yell out, which they're not going to be able to do at Grand Final Day. So I hope at the three minute mark, unless there's a goal scored, there's literally not a thing you can do as a coach. Um, so at that point, other than put those funny little signs up, <laughs> win. So, um, <laughs> so GWS, I had that. Yeah, win. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the, that last three minutes, you're really just enthralled in the game and you're watching it as a spectator. Um, but hopefully, it doesn't come down to that too often. Did you code the game after? Like, so coding <laughs> is uh, coaches going through and uh, putting markers on players. You know, different things that happen. How we set up at stoppage how the game plays out. Every game, coaches do that. Sorry. Uh, but for people listening, that's what I mean by coding. Did you sit down and rewatch that game and code it? Um, so a normal game, um, I'm a bit of an, I'm a bit of an over-coder. Um, but I, it probably takes about five hours to code a game. So... And for for an individual, every, every game, every game. So you code, you get the game, and you get it on your computer. And it takes about five hours to go through it. And then every, so as a midfield coach, I would have maybe between thirty and fifty edits for each player. So not kicks and handballs, but where he was running, why he was running there, things to show the player. Um, and so five hours. What I I didn't code the game, no. But well. I didn't code it like that, <laughs> but I did code it for things that I hadn't seen in the game. So I sat on the plane and watched it on the way um, back to Perth, and it just took me just while I was on the flight, just fast forward. Oh yeah, sorry, didn't do. I didn't notice that he did that, or how did he get there? And did you just remember, picked apart a few things. Do you remember showing me something? I'm literally just remembering. Remember, you showed me something on the plane. No, I potentially hadn't had too much sleep, <laughs> and, you know, a couple of beverages, but you showed me something on the plane. Because we're up in business, they had the coaches back in economy. Did I wander up the front and show you something? Yeah, you did. Was it the last play? Yeah, yeah. Can you remember that? Because I, I I actually at the time, or maybe wouldn't have remembered that I did that. Because you, you laid off a ridiculous amount that you shouldn't have been doing, and then ended up winning the contest, which. You didn't win the contest. Someone else. Yeah, you've so, drew. You drew someone else up, but because you did something outrageous, you did this run or something outrageous, yes. which you shouldn't have been doing. But I tell then, this. I but, tell this story. But then Jeremy McGovern saved your backside yes. um, and ended up. But without you being an idiot, he wouldn't have been there and we wouldn't have won or something. That's I've heard, I think I've actually heard you say that story. Multiple times. The, you know what's underrated? Actually, well, you know what's underrated is, is Fine Ryan's mark. Yeah. That is a genuine 
like that's a big physical mark in a key moment of a game. That was under that, that whole play. Everyone talked about a lot of stuff, but to me, that mark was unbelievably important. In a regular game, that would be like mark of the year contender. Oh, you're going over the top now, <laughs> no, <was> but <laughs> only because of the moment. It was such a. It was such a. I mean, it was a. It was. It took a lot of. Um, took a lot of balls to go for it, and in that way that he did, it was very impressive. You head back to Hawthorne. You finish your time at West Coast. Premiership, no worries. I mean, we couldn't do it with you as a player, so we fixed that up and put you as a coach and then got it done without you. You move back to Hawthorne, uh, really, I guess, start ramping up that coaching journey. What's that like coming back, you know, uh, playing under Alistair Clarkson here at Hawthorne, Premiership captain, all that sort of stuff, going away, you know, applying your trade a little bit away from home and then come back. What's Does the relationship change between your head coach, Alistair Clarkson, who was... You playing head coach and then assistant coach. Oh, I think as a player, you you're very much behind. You know, you're very much in front of the curtain. You only see the show as a player. And I guess my playing career, I probably got to see as much behind the curtain as any players player did because I had done a lot of preparation and had learned a lot. And I think coming coming back, I did get you know you're all the way behind the curtain at that point. And so you do learn a few things. And um, yeah, you know, the same things I was talking about before about no one. Um, cares how much you know until they don't know how much you care. There was this real um, changing needed. Like I remember I had a great conversation with Ben McAvoy and he said, like you're preaching about, you know, getting the best out of each other and really having a loving environment and making sure you're pumping each other up. But I remember playing with you and you were <laughs> you were a bit of an asshole. So you need to reconcile that with me. So then we had a lot of good discussions about what I'd learned over my um, you know, last probably eight years as a as a player and coach, and then um, you know making progress towards what I believe the philosophy to be now that will take us to success. Was it important to step out of the Hawthorne Footy Club? Yeah, I mean, I had, we had a great the two years I had. So we lived in Perth for two years, and it was from a career point of view, it was vital to go somewhere else. So my advice to anyone um, is to go and go and work somewhere else, and. I mean, I always had <clears throat> my wife and I. We, we'd always lived in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, so we grew up, you know, a couple of suburbs apart. We'd always lived in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. She lived in London for a couple of years in her early twenties or whatever. Um, but I'd never lived anywhere else, and so there's a part of me that that thought, um, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I don't know. So going somewhere else would be worthwhile. And we had a like when we look back as a family, when we look back on those two years, we had a great time. There's so many great experiences, you know, going to Rottnest Island and. Um, you know, Cottesloe, I know you're going to sledge Living me. in Cottesloe. Just, <laughs> oh, where am I going to live? Oh, just go down the Cottesloe Beach and live down there. <laughs> well, oh, as you know someone who had was, just, just right there somewhere. <laughs> um, so, but we had a great time. We learned an enormous amount about ourselves there. Like just how how the kids, like my, my son, who was not a fan of water at all and now refuses to go to the beach basically because we, we tormented him over there getting him to go to the beach so much. But, um, you know, just the, the different environment that we learned about over there. And then when we came back, we moved back into our old house and we had this level of comfort, which we hadn't had for a couple of years. And it, we really loved, we really loved that. And um, coming back to Hawthorne was was there was a, a level of discomfort about that though because it was me the player versus me the coach and you're trying to rebuild relationships but with a different dynamic whereas going to West Coast I knew that was happening so I built the relationships in a way where I knew I would coach them um, whereas as a player you do things with players that are silly and there but now I'm their coach so there's still a bit of a bit of that kicking around. Um, when do you coach your own side in the VFL? Uh, 20? Uh, 20. One, 21. Last year? Yep. So um, a couple of years as assistant coach at Hawthorne and then you coach your own side for the first time. I'm assuming you didn't yeah. coach yep. no. anywhere else. No. <laughs> um, no, no sides it. in the summer or anything? No. So is that what, what's that like, coaching your own team? Uh, I was – I mean, it was a <clears> – <throat> Coach your own team was something that people always said you need, you had to do. You have to coach your own team. Um, and I didn't really believe that. And I still think that you can be a successful AFL head coach without doing that. But certainly what it does is it teaches you a lot about um, responsibilities. So I remember my first day and few days of actually being an assistant coach, I learned an enormous amount about training planning. Like as a player, if the ball wasn't ready when I needed it and you're at the end of a group and there's no ball, I'm like, what is, are you so disorganized? You can't have a ball ready? Like honestly, all the cones aren't where they're meant to be. 
But as a coach, you recognize it's actually really hard work. It takes a lot of planning, a lot of effort to make sure there's balls where they need to be, cones where they need to be, drills are all set up, and you go get drinking and come back, and obviously the drill's ready. But someone has to do that. <laughs> um, and when that's you, you realize there's all these important things that have to get done behind the scenes. And as a head coach of a VFL side, the same thing happens. You're trying to organize staff. You're trying to organize who's going to be where, who's doing which role, the role clarity of all your staff members. Um, and that learning those responsibility with less on the line becomes important. How to manage, um, how to manage relationships. Because as an assistant coach, you have fifteen players and a head coach. Really, there you that's your circle of influence. There's obviously other coaches you spend a lot of time with. As a head coach, I've got now forty four players. There's seven of us as coaches plus a football department of around 25. So there's a, there's close enough to 100 people that you're having significant influence with. And if you spend an hour with them, that's two weeks. So <laughs> your, your level of time management becomes really important. And I learned a lot about that coaching Box Hill. So that's a lot about the logistics of it all. What about the philosophy of, okay, assistant coach to head coaching? I'm assuming it's different. Is that an easy enough question to ask? What's your coaching philosophy? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I I a couple of hours to get through. I it didn't come up. I didn't come up with that once I got that job. I mean, coaching from two thousand and nine or whatever when I when I first started my coaching journey, you're really developing a philosophy that whole time. Yeah, um, whether you like um, a fast team, a slow team, a smart team, or an athletic team, or, um, you know, how do you play? So. Endless question: Does do you do you choose a game plan that fits your players, or do you choose players that fit your game plan? Do you choose a game plan? So, for instance, if you uh, if you have a lot of really leery and fun-loving defenders, yes, do you do you make them into hard-nosed back shoulder right. get the job done? So, like, so like uh, we spoke <clears throat> Jimmy Bartel, right? Geelong uh, were playing very slow and defensive at the start of two thousand and seven, and they had this big thing like. We're an exciting, fast-moving team. They were built of those players. So they basically said the game plan to those players, let's attack and play lots of... So that's game plan to players, correct? Yeah. Yep. What's players to game plan? Like trying to change them into hard-nosed defenders? Well, exactly. So, I mean, you can... So if I if I chose a player like Lewis Jetta, for instance, in talking in West Coast terms, if you tried... If you had a whole group of Lewis Jettas and you tried to play a really slow, diligent game, really low-risk control the ball don't get scored against now that's the wrong personnel for that so if you have a coach that wants that game style how how do you that's how do you reconcile that whereas by the and by the same token if you've got a bunch of well Schofields who just want to defend the whole time and don't care about offense as much and are just they hate getting beaten those guys who just hate to get beaten if they're trying to play this really flary game and I'm underselling your absolutely I was going to say sorry mate I, I mind missed, you Sam, missed Sam Butler is a better example someone like <laughs> someone like Sam Butler who just wanted to shut down his opponent didn't care about getting the ball at all send this to Butsy please yes um but it, but you have to have a game you have to have a game plan that fits your personnel and you have to draft for your for your game style. So there's this challenge around, and that's an example of how you build your coaching philosophy. Has so to what's be, yours? Um, it's a great question. I don't know if I should answer too much about it. I mean, I think for me, you're always trying to get ahead of the game, especially like at Hawthorne we've got a young group. We've got a young we played the youngest team on the weekend of anyone for the round, and so. If we try and play the way Melbourne and Geelong are playing, they're going to be better than us at that. So we need to figure out what the next iteration of the game is and then play in that way. So then in three years' time, when everyone's trying to play this new style, we've already been playing and we've learnt all the mistakes. And there's other teams saying, oh, we're not going to beat them at their game. They've been doing that for three years. And so we need to try to figure out as a group, as a coaching group, what's the next iteration of the game? And to me, the game is quite defensively dominant and has been for the last couple of years or maybe four years and now has started to open up a little bit more scoring starting to go up a little bit um, so being at the at the forefront of that will be important for us you've played under a couple of coaches that are uh, sorry you've you've coached under a couple of coaches and played under one that in my opinion probably did that a little bit Alistair Clarkson with the zone effectively 2008 um, and Adam Simpson with what we did defensively as a team in 2015 so would you say that's, I mean, what you've just said, it's rubbed off a bit, what Simo and Clarko did that as well, trying to get ahead of what other people are doing? Yeah, I think a lot of, I think a lot of coaches do that, but um, it doesn't always work. <laughs> so you're always trying to work out what the next thing is. Um, I think every coach with a developing team is doing that. Well, I think they are. Um, some 
coaches are trying to emulate what the last successful era has done. But really, the success comes from being able to think forward. And and there's a riskiness about it because everyone's saying, oh, Melbourne do this. And you don't do that. You do that. And it's like, well, I can copy Melbourne if you want, but they're going to beat us because they've been doing it for years and years. And so that's the challenge. That's the challenge. But you have to hold your nerve because every person is going to come at you and say, you're not doing what the other best teams are doing. You're not you're not competing the way the other teams are doing. And you have to be able to hold on. You need a really good support. You need your board and your CEO and everyone to be on board and understand what you're about. And then you've got the confidence to go forward with that, with that mantra. Yeah, that's good. Do you, you feel that confidence here? Is that, yep. is that too? Yeah. Is that too? Yeah, no, 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 no. That's, no, that's, I mean, part of my reason for taking... you're doing now, right? Well, part of my reason for taking the, taking the Hawthorne job and once given that opportunity is the understanding that the, the board and the CEO and the footy manager... Footy manager is an interesting position because it's one of those ones you're like, oh, what do they really do? Do you really need them that much? Like, are they important? And like, if you'd be destroyed without that person being an absolute star. And so having those, all those people together, knowing and committed to what you're doing, um, it's really easy to talk to players. You talk to them all the time. But going up and talking to the CEO and the board and making sure they're aligned with what you're about um, is really important because otherwise when you lose a game or win a game that you should have done the other, they need to have, be singing out of the same hymn book. How much um, influence does the people in those higher positions have in your decisions as a coach? Like are you left completely to your own device or like are you being – I mean, not necessarily you, but a coach is told to play certain players a bit more from higher ups, <laughs> those sorts of things. Uh, well, not uh, not at Hawthorne, no. No one from above has. Um, I mean, it, I think role clarity in the professional game now. I mean, it's a huge business, and um, the the what the role of the head coach is is quite clear at, for me. And I'm not sure it's the case everywhere, but for me, I know exactly what my role is, and I know where my role. Uh, starts and finishes and sometimes as a head coach you actually have potentially too much influence you can influence what your media messaging is and what your um, list management is and what but yeah you, you need to have really you know stringent protocols and rules around who's in charge of what and so I know that at the draft at when the draft comes I know I could be desperately in love with getting this one player and if he's still on the board it's not going to be my call at the end right and i accept that and i know that that is a fact and it's the right way now doesn't mean i won't be unhappy with it at some stage um but making sure that that's the same for me as a head coach but the same for whether that's the footy manager or ceo or president um, everyone has their role to play and if you have that then you get you know great strength of strength of a group what about uh the coaching role itself given you've come from different angles right as a player as an assistant coach player across two clubs the captain you've kind of seen a lot of intricacy around football clubs and now as the head coach what are, what are, what's something that people punters like dan and i wouldn't know about being a head coach what what what's something or a few things that happened that people would just be like what what is going what is what are you like, what, what what happens behind the veil that never saw oh, as a player you need to be I'm, more, I'm padding for i'm padding for you you need to be more specific you need to give me like a realm like is it around yeah, is there like um what happens like, in what happens in the coach's box that people don't know about the coach's box you'd be surprised how calm the our coach's box is currently i've had a couple of games where i have not coached very well um when things haven't haven't moved smoothly but that's, um, that's the coaching term for he's cracked his shits up in the box <laughs> oh right yeah now. i just haven't been able to think clearly I, I went and coached from the bench and coaching from the bench is is good because you're with players and you can give direct you know you, as soon as a player comes off you can look him in the eye and give him a high five and say oh make sure on that one you do this or you know that technical stuff but you actually can't see the game particularly well and there was a um we needed to make a change and i and it had sort of it was a bit of a chess move um and i i needed just like a quiet minute to like shut my eyes and think my way through and when you're in the coach box that's fine because no one's really looking at you maybe a camera will be there but players aren't influenced by you because they can't see you but i've got four players sitting right next to me i can't exactly put my head on my hands and actually think <laughs> think clearly for a minute so little things like that are, are different what about um when a, when a, when you see the other coach like do you notice when the other coach goes down to the bench are you like oh maybe I should go down there too like is there those sorts <laughs> of oh, your FOMO for the bench yeah. no 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 I don't know actually 
I know that uh, in our game against West Coast, Adam Simpson went to the bench at, at halftime. And I mean, what would take me to the bench is if it's not a tactical game, if it's an effort game, or if someone is involved in an incident, an altercation, or gets a big injury, they're the things that take you to the bench because you're trying to control morale more than tactics. And I think, you know, there's a time for that. Is there anything uh, stepping into your first uh, season as head coach this year that yeah, you found difficult that perhaps you didn't expect would be. Um, again, along the lines of maybe uh, dropping players, uh, although you've done that a lot as an assistant coach, or maybe hard moments that you walked in and, and when it's happened in reality, you're like, oh, gee, that's difficult. Yeah, I mean, uh, and the obvious ones. The obvious ones are um, dropping players, delisting players, telling players that you've... Like, delisting players. I mean, I got appointed... Um, at the end of last season and had to do delistings and it's like I haven't even coached these players or I've coached them at Box Hill and I'm I'm finishing their dream you know maybe hopefully we can help you get an opportunity in another club but you know that's unlikely so you guys who you have a lot of respect for and you enjoy them as people but you don't think they can help you from a from a football perspective you actually have to tell them that their dream's over so that's easily the hardest but it always I refuse to feel sorry for myself because it's much harder being on the other end of that message. Um, and so dropping players, dropping players, particularly when they're established players, um, that's quite... I mean, dropping young players who are getting opportunity who aren't potentially up for the level anyway is okay, but dropping players who have been successful players and deserve games potentially, um, that's, that's, that's quite difficult. Do coaches drop players? You get a 50-50 call on someone, you can't split them, play the same role. Don't know how to flip a coin. Uh, will, will coaches make decisions around dropping a player that they may think will react better to getting dropped that may actually rebound quicker and not drop their bundle? Um, I'm referring to myself because I felt like at stages that would happen in my career. No, seriously, because I, because you I'd, wouldn't I'd, crack I'd, it or you would. I'd crack the sads for five minutes, yep. but the next day of training, I'd I'd try to be the best trainer and I'd go back to the waffle and I'd get the best players and then I'd be back yep. in the team. I wasn't. I mean, I played 200 games over 14 years, so I knew how to get dropped and get back in the team, <laughs> right? I was the most dropped player at West Coast Eagles in the history of the club, right? You seem quite proud of that. I, th- I, I am. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, I am. I wasn't giving everything on a platter like 329 game Sam Mitchell. <laughs> Did you get drafted when you are 18? Okay, perfect. 17, actually. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my point is, is that a thing? Uh, do, uh, it, it, I mean, I haven't, we haven't experienced that. I, I must, I'm not the big coaching expert who's got all the experience in the world. I've coached 17 games as a head AFL coach. So at this point, have I decided between players between how they will react? No. But can I see, I could see that happening where you're like, if we drop this guy, we might lose him. Like, he, from a mentality point of view, it might take him a month to overcome that. Um, so usually, um, I imagine there'd be like a warm-up conversation where you say, look, you're getting close to, you know, you need to perform here because your spot's not going to be guaranteed if you keep performing at the way you are. And so then you're at least giving them a chance to, to earn their spot back. So I've done that a couple of times. What What's the uh, coaching coaching fraternity like? Are you t- chatting amongst each other? Are you, um, you know, texting? Like if there's a certain team you dislike more than others, are you giving advice to the <laughs> coach on how to beat them? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question, actually. The, there's... I'd love to do like a, I don't know, not a family tree, but a communication circle of who talks to who. <laughs> not just amongst head coaches, but just around clubs. So every club's got like an opposition scout and they always seem to know someone that knows someone that's been there and knows something about how that club operates. And, and every club has one as well. Well, every club has one. So we, we always talk, our guy gets some information. He's like, oh, we know that about that club. He's like, yeah, what'd you tell me about us for to, to get that info? <laughs> um, so there's this great debate about that. But some of the coaches from other clubs that I have um, worked with over the journey. So a guy like Chris Fagan, if we're playing a team who they've just played, then I would call him and he'll give me some info about what they focused on and vice versa. Um, I got a call. I won't say who it was, um, but he called me and he, he goes, and we, we won the game. He goes, oh, yeah, loser calls. So just so you know, the way this works is the loser coach always has to call the, the other coach. And then that's – and you, you don't know whether that's 24 hours or, you know, 24 weeks later, but the losing coach always makes the phone call and then you're okay after that. So there's little protocols. I'm still learning um, my way, but I know uh, maybe around half of the head coaches I would talk to at different stages. It's like this society they yeah. all get together. Close. Yeah, I got a um, – we had a we had a coach's Zoom the other day um, and Gil McLaughlin was sort of just giving a head coach update and – it was a bit of a stitch up, but um, 
um, CJ, so Chankoth Jath, one of our players, he, he walked, he's very, very fit and handsome guy. And um, I think you'll be able to put a graphic up when you show it. <laughs> but you. he had, um, he was going to the pool and he had to walk, he has walks past my office to go to the pool. He's just wearing a towel and his budgie's underneath or whatever. And he looks in and he sort of half gives me a bit of a sledge, like, oh, what are you doing? Door shut. And I said, oh, I come in. And he walked around behind my desk <laughs> and killed <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't know, but I've got a Zoom with like everyone on it. Every head coach. Well, they're not all, their cameras are on, but maybe eight of their cameras on. But Gil McLaughlin's the biggest screen at the top. Um, and he comes on and he like looks at the screen and he actually stays there for a few seconds before he recognises like, I'm on. And then he sees them all start like smiling. And then and then James Warple is in the same kit and he's like, what's going on? And then he jumps in behind. So I've got these two blokes in towers behind me in my office and Gil McLaughlin is presenting to the head coaches and I'm just shaking my head. And by the time I like look back, there's eight of the coaches is like, what is going on? And the meeting was a schmozzle after that. <laughs> that is very good stuff. Very good. Now, I think you've heard enough from Dan and I. Uh, questions done and dusted. Social media, which I know you know about. Don't look at me with those eyes. <laughs> I've <laughs> taken great joy out of acting like I haven't seen any of your stuff. Exactly. And you haven't. I've been waiting for a bite the whole time and you haven't. <laughs> I know you do, mate. I know you're a head coach now, but just I know you too. So, Social media, I know you've been waiting for it. One of the great podcasting segments of all time. It's a, perhaps your second or third iteration here. You've, you're back for business. We get the people to ask you the questions. I, I saw this this morning on your Instagram thing and I'm so like... So we don't need long to put no, these together either. I don't need... I don't know about this. <laughs> I haven't been prepped for this at all. I'm a bit concerned. Oh, do you need the questions sent Well, normally you, what happens as a head coach, you get this media prep. And that before this, they said, you'll be fine. You don't need media prep for this. And I'm like, oh, I disagree. But um, now if I get it wrong, it's actually going to be Jackson Payne's fault. Just as a... Every time I mention him, I get a free coffee and a just, muffin. Just as a... <laughs> so, Jackson Payne. <laughs> for the crew as well I'll be just just on that though you're, you're, a, you're a big boy you've done this you don't you don't need preparation you're a smart man I know I had no preparation yeah, that's okay. what I'm saying very good okay even oh. if you do get prepped in a certain way maybe they'll change it on the fly as well and, and ask you questions that yeah, you're not that ready to ask like anyway. a social media thing so I'll ask one of these this uh, this is by yeah this, yes. is, from, this is from Kobe.lacra Yep. Which, which one? Which one? Would you like it's, not, it's, it's not Mark. Would you like the first the top one? one yeah, top one. Top one. Uh, was Mark Lacroix the biggest pest at West Coast? Um, oh. Was he still there when I was there? I don't remember him that much. Did oh, he wow. do? <laughs> oh, that's whack. Very good. Love it. Um, very good. Oh, wow. Well, probably, yeah. Uh, I do remember too far Lacroix. They said, just, you know, just be careful because it. Doesn't rhyme with Mitchell, but I probably could have had a similar. Nickname. I was going to say, if you're too far wrong with Mitchell, that would be your nickname. Yeah, so we kind of, I think we had a had a mutual respect for each other's <laughs> level that we were willing to go to in that area. Um, Hattie Nacker, uh, what were your first thoughts uh, when you saw the Hawks draft Mitch Lewis post you leaving? <laughs> um, when you uh, the irony, Lewis, yeah, so. Yeah. So Sam Mitchell and Jordan, well, I have asked them about it since. I said, surely you were like taking the piss a bit. And he, they said, this is how funny it is from a, a Hawthorne perspective and how in head in the reeds that recruiters are. In their minds, Mitch Lewis, Mitch Lewis, Mitch Lewis. They'd never once seen his name read out as Mitchell Lewis. So they had not put it together. Would you believe that? Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, I've got to follow up on that. Do you really miss Sam Butler that much? That you need to go and bring a Sam Butler into the football club. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I? This this will break Sam Butler, West Coast West Coast's heart. But twice this year, I have called him accidentally trying to call the other Sam Butler, and then he answers. He's like, "What's going on?" And I'm like, "Oh shit, I've called the wrong one." I'm like, "Oh mate, just ringing in, just checking how the family is and that." But I've actually been trying to call the Hawthorne Sam Butler for whatever reason. So I actually invited apologies. someone to the movies doing that. Accidentally messaged the wrong person, and then they rocked up, and I was like, "Oh, no. I messaged the wrong this, this." Yeah, that's great. So, yeah. Um, which uh, da, 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 da. Uh, Brian Kirkup underscore. Uh, which player had to improve for West Coast to win a flag, and how did you help them fulfil potential? Ooh. If you had to know one. Wow, that's a good question. Um, oh, I think there were a couple of players there who were right on the precipice when I got there. So a guy like Jack Redden or Chris Maston, they were role players is a bit disrespectful. They were better than that. But they didn't maybe believe they were better than that. And so just telling them, I almost just said, you like you're better than you think you are. So 
respectfully, I'm smarter than you, so you should listen to me. <laughs> so you're better than this. You should do this and this, and because you can. And so I think I think sometimes those players who have been at a club for for a while and have had the same group for a while, sometimes they just need some new eyes on them and some and 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 to have the things that they could do highly valued. So I think both Redden and Maston did things that don't go up on the stat sheet, but really helped the team. Um, and having a, I think when I went there, there was you know there was some genuine A grade talents it's still there i mean gaff and and shui and Nicknad and um sheed obviously became that yoey um there's some like their a-grade players all of them and i think those guys felt oh i'm not i just need a role and the other one would be mark hutchings who um sort of had to retrain a little bit i think he always wanted to be this offensive guy and once he once he really embraced his role as a defensive player he was unstoppable as a defensive player Mastin, you told him to get out of the gym and just run because you're good at running. Like, why are you spending so much in the gym? <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, it made no sense to me. This like skinny kid who was not built for the inside, and um, yeah, he was a fantastic runner, but he wasn't winning the running. And I'm like, you're the, you should be the best runner here. So be better at that. And I don't care about your muscles, mate. So don't worry <laughs> about the beach. Um, and that, I mean, I think there's this, this fine line for all of our old players where they need to they need to be strong enough, but not you know not cumbersome. Uh, you don't have to answer this, but I just find it funny because you and Sam Butler, West Coast, talk about this a bit. Short for Decker. Uh, why is Shannon Hearn better than Luke Hodge? <laughs> As a captain, I would put at um, the end. I, 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 Shannon Hearn is um, a stalwart and a, one of the toughest players I've seen. I just saw him got cleaned up uh, by Mitch Lewis and finished... Um, I don't know if this will be public, so maybe I shouldn't say it, but I think he went to hospital and pretty nasty injuries. And he just jumped up and ran off. And Mitch Lewis laid down for a long time. Um, <laughs> I've told him about it. Um, but Shannon Hearn is one of the toughest players I've seen. But unfortunately, um, Hodgie is the best the best captain of this generation. So it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not too damning to say that he's got butter covered. Fair. Um, Kristen underscore Hogan. Uh, uh, nah, don't worry. Yeah. Selby Lestier. Now, can you not read the questions? What's happening? Why do you this, read which ones? This is what we do. I know that, but I want to know why. Right, we're almost done, so you just keep <laughs> answering the questions. Selby Lestier, right? Selby Lestier uh, has won fantasy in Australia twice. He's now in playing super coach. He's in the top 10. It's a different game, and he's. He's clocked the Which country. fantasy, like FPL? Uh, a- AFL. AFL. No, which one did he win? He won the Dream Team, AFL, AFL Dream right. Team Fantasy. Won it twice in a row. Yep. Two cars. Uh, he runs a fantasy program. Wow. Yep. And now he's doing super coach with a completely different game, different scoring procedure. I'm not sure what you would call it completely right. different. So, so were you one of those players that used to... <laughs> Absolutely no. not. Okay. Uh, keep your own score. Anyway, he's put a question in. So okay. this is fantasy That's, So this is that. a big guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a big dog. This is... Uh, Dylan Moore, what's his potential this year? Full time mid, uh, full time midfield role? Question mark and beyond. <laughs> he wants to know if he's playing in the midfield or not. <laughs> <laughs> he's played in the midfield the last two weeks, and his future is as a forward thinking midfielder. So whatever you read between that, what you will. Yeah, vague. Mother. Keep him in your team would be what I'd say. If Very what, good. That's well, what he's actually asking. Very good. It? Yes, correct. Um, Live underscore Flora. Does have a bit of a sore knee. We might rest him this week. Oh, no. <laughs> that, will go, that will go viral. <laughs> I'm telling you, everything you've said this episode, which has been a really actually great, insightful interview, that will be double one, mate. You are an idiot. Uh, uh, so, yeah, Liflora, uh, who's someone you'd want playing under you from another AFL team? Is tampering a thing in the AFL? Is that you allowed to say that? Um, I don't know if you're allowed to answer that. I mean, there's a lot of there we go, a lot of good players lot of, across the competition. Well, I don't know. Give me a position or something. Okay, um, uh, a forward, a forward, forward, forward. Well, the Kings are going to be phenomenal players for a huge amount of time. I think the other one is is Norton. I think people think he's an old player, but he's only like 22 or something. So he's a he's a superstar. So they're obviously players, if they want to come over, they're more than welcome. On the back of what you're talking about being a, you know, a future-looking coach, I think this question's relevant. Chris, double underscore, Healy underscore. Uh, where do you see the next change in the game of AFL? Um, 
Well, if you look at the rule changes and what the AFL is trying to do is they're trying to increase scoring in the game. Um, and I think there's a newer, newer generation of coaches that, you know, I think some of the younger coaches are a bit more that way inclined. There's a little – the ball is moving quicker in general. Um, so I'd expect scoring to go up um, and to be a little bit more end-to-end. I think that they're trying to limit some – the AFL are trying to limit stoppages. They're talking about the last touch rule that they use in the sandful. Um, so I think that scoring is likely to go up over the next few years. Two Let's to go. So. Two to go. Nathan Major. Sam. I worked the 2015 AFL Grand Final and stood next to you as you played keep-ups with a footy. I'm just curious, what's your all-time footy keepy-up record? <laughs> Hard in questions. <laughs> um, oh, I don't count them, actually, so I'm not sure. I think, I think, um, yeah, it would. Well, you, when I was a player, I mean, it's amazing how much spare time you have as a player. And yes. You literally get paid to kick a football around like it's a crazy good job. Yes. I was talking about with our players today about your worst days of football is better than a lot of people's best days in your actual workforce. So Fact. trying to make sure that you feel joy um, is one of those things. And little games like Keepy Uppy was one that always always kept me – felt like it kept me young. Um, I'll finish with the last. I just want to squeeze one more in. Do you ever think you'll uh, – not work in footy. Uh, and now this, you know, yeah, currently have a job. And so saying, yes, I will, <laughs> yeah, puts a bit of an asterisk on your coaching group. But, you know, you've been in football forever almost. Do you look at. Yeah, I mean, I, I, did, I did some study during my career. And when I looked at um, the business world and particularly around the COVID when, you know, the soft caps went way down and no one knew what the future would look like. Um, you know, I had a lot of conversations with my wife around what our future looks like, and I've got this great passion for coaching, but I wouldn't have ever used that at the expense of what I could provide. And so, um, the 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 idea of going into business and doing something outside of footy doesn't wouldn't scare me. If they closed down football and said there's no football anymore, I I would be sad, of course, for myself and others, but I wouldn't be worried about my future. Very good. Let's finish on this uh, big one. Really big decision-making here. 14 day. day uh, Would you prefer a player to get 10 tackles or 30 disposals? And I don't want to... I want an answer. 30 disposals. Okay. The, getting to the getting 10 tackles is getting to the ball second 10 times. <laughs> Let's just get to the ball first. That's how I would say that. Very good, mate. Very, I used to say that. I say that facetiously. And I do say to our players, if they get a lot of tackles and not enough of the footy, I'm like, you can get to the ball first. That's better. <laughs> That's good. Mate, you've been incredibly generous with your time. We do appreciate it on Back Chat here, mate. Thank you. And thank you for bringing all your gear out to uh, out to Waverley at Bungle Bagora. We're very happy to have Yeah, you. absolutely. It's uh, certainly not close to where we're living, so thanks very much for having us out here, Sam. Back Chat, double underscore. You know where to find us on socials. Listen to us if you're watching to us on YouTube. If you are listening to us, you can watch us on YouTube. Sam's got a gavel for me right here. If you want to find anything we do, you can find it on our website, backchatpodcast.com. Dot com.au send us an email hello at backchatpodcast.com.au thanks to our supporters whippersnapper margaret river roasting co shelter leadable cameras that's you no did no i didn't i missed one you've done a good job whippersnapper margaret river roasting leadable cameras blue, blue bet, bet baby thank you very much it's been fun i know you've been impressed sam even though you're not going to pretend you pretend you aren't you're impressed <laughs> with my coaching and i'm impressed Coach. by your coaching and my hosting that's it i've Done. Words finished out of hit my gavel now. It's a double. You can't do a double gavel. That's not how it works. That's you need to go. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.